Welcome back to another edition of Sports Business Secrets. My name is Kevin Tarka. I am the founder of Creation Talent Agency, and I will be releasing a new podcast every single day for an entire year that is specifically designed to share the inevitable challenges of the sports business world and how to overcome them. I'm inviting you to join me in real time on my personal journey of representing professional basketball players, traveling the world, and continuously finding ways to battle through the adversity in this competitive industry. The goal is to share as many secrets as I can to help you along your own path to success. Welcome back to another edition of Sports Business Secrets. Today, I'm talking with FIBA agent Gerard Colomay. And for those who don't know Gerard, he was born and raised in Barcelona, and he began began his playing career at uh, FC Barcelona until the age of 19. He transitioned into the sports business world, starting with marketing, then shifting into representation. He's got experience in both big global agencies and a smaller boutique firm. He's a sports enthusiast, and uh, lucky for me, he's turned into a good friend of mine. Uh, so welcome, Gerard. Hey, hello, Kevin. Thank you for having me on board. It's a pleasure to be here and discuss basketball with you. Let's uh, let's jump in here, man. So so my guests get like a minute or two to just kind of give a little bit more in-depth background on uh, on where you're at and maybe how you kind of grew up in the sports world. And um, and then we'll jump into your your career and your transition into representation. Yeah, well, I think you, Kevin, summarized pretty much the, the main points of my short career. Uh, I'm a Spanish. I'm based in Barcelona. I played basketball at FC Barcelona pretty much all my short career. Then when I was 18, 19, I figured out I wasn't going to make it to the ACB team, which is the, the top team in Barcelona. And then I had to find a way to stay in, in sync with the sports that we love. <clears throat> coaching was an option being a scout was another I moved into the second one and then uh, luckily I got a position to work at Octagon for almost four years and then I moved into a different step of the the business which is the representation uh, right now I've been doing that for for almost nine years and and yeah just uh, ready to to roll Kevin whenever uh, you feel so great um, so so when you were playing, like before we jump into the agent stuff, like when, when you were playing and you realized that you wanted to become something, you know, outside of playing, and you wanted to stay in the sport. How did you, how did you get that first opportunity? I mean, did you just have to kind of ask around and, you know, try and get, get a mentor or have somebody take you under their wing or how did you really like make that mm. transition into actually understanding what it takes to be a scout? Yeah. Well, uh, Back in the day, when I, as I was growing up, especially in the U.S., we would talk about the last high school year. Uh, but out here overseas, we don't have that. So I was uh, playing the under-18 team at FT, FC Barcelona. I had to transition to Canary Island for <clears throat> almost two years in, a, in an academy called CBA. Uh, and once all these things were taking place, I was figuring out that I was not going to be a player, at least for the, for the top level uh, here overseas. So I was thinking, I was wondering what to, what to do afterwards. So, of course, I had to keep up my college studies. That's one thing. But I still wanted to be in sync with, with the sport itself. So uh, when I finished my experience at Canary Islands, uh, I was already connected with a few people. 
One of them is Rafael Juke, the, the Denver Nuggets International Scout. And back in the day, he was working at Eurohopes, which is probably the best, uh, you know, scouting tool program for college coaches here in Europe. So uh, Rafael was the director for scouting at Eurohopes. And in that specific summer, when I was trying to figure out what's next, he got a proposal from an agent that was going to join Octagon to be their scout. Uh, Rafael, of course, said no, because he was going to join the Denver Nuggets as the international scout. But he said he knew somebody in Barcelona area, Spain, that could do that job. And, well, he put me in touch with that person. Uh, we had a few interviews, a few meetings, and that's how I joined the, the let's say, the scouting representation uh, field. That's more or less how it went. Very fast, but, but that's exactly how I got into the business. That's great. I mean, I think just, just being prepared for that opportunity and being in the right place at the right time, a little combination of that is, is kind of how it worked. All right, so I, I want to transition into more along the lines of what you do now. And I think there's a lot of misconceptions um, internationally about what agents actually do and how they operate. So can you talk a little bit about like the, the business model and give like a general overview about how you work? Because someone will see, okay, you, you have a client in Spain, of course, but then you post something maybe from Denmark or Poland. So how do you operate as an agent um, internationally, both in Spain and then outside of Spain? Uh, well, that's a good question, of course. I think, first of all, you got to be open to uh, as many markets as possible because right now in 21st century, uh, we are very well connected. Uh, we can jump from a country to another, so I wouldn't put limits into that. But of course, uh, whenever you're heading to work, you got to be smart about it. You've got to take advantage of the people you know in different areas. And that's more or less what I've done in the beginning. I try to focus myself into the the countries that I see I have a better reach. Of course, Spain could be one of them, obviously, because of my location. But then a few others where I can see myself being successful. Um, so there's where I spend more time on on, on my daily basis or, or during the months uh, that I'm around traveling or, or working in, in the business. So... Um, yeah, at the end of the day, what I would say is uh, to try to draw a path related to the countries or markets where you see yourself being more successful because of a language reason, because of a, a connection reason, or, or whatever it is, you know. Yeah, and, and and let's talk about like partnerships here because I think we could start with um, with U.S. agents. Uh, partnering with international agents. Obviously, as I've mentioned a few times in my podcast, you and I have been able to do a deal together in Spain. And so for some of the listeners that don't understand, that's really saying, okay, I have a client, maybe I don't have a direct connection to a specific team, but Gerard on his end has a connection to the team. And so we we do a deal together. And that was uh, a very successful deal with, you know, with Anthony and Carunia. So Talk a little bit about your perception. Like, do you like to do deals with partner agents? Does it depend on the situation? How do you work? I think we both want to agree on this. Uh, probably working directly between players and teams is the best option because you got a way better control and a way better approach to the, the team itself from the director 
to the head coach, assistant coach, whatever it is. So I think that would be the option number one. At the same time, we're going to be realistic. And depending on the market and depending on the team, it's very complicated to have a direct reach. Uh, we cannot be everywhere. They have 24 hours, uh, seven of them. Perhaps you, Kevin, you sleep six, but I take seven hours sleep shit shift usually. So uh, there's no time. That's what I'm trying to say. There's no time to be on top of each of the teams out here overseas because there are so many countries and leagues. So sometimes you got to use some local partners to help you out with uh, different teams and situations. Uh, my experience, I think, depending on the partner, uh, we could talk about it. It's, it's a success, I think, whenever um, the American partner uh, with the Italian, Spanish, German partner, whatever it is, are in the same page. Um, it, it's a great cooperation. Uh, Anthony's case, Anthony Green's case was, I think, very good. We took him out of college to play in Spain at Coruña in a, in a good spot. Uh, I think it was a, a good situation for the kid. So overall, I think it's a case-by-case case scenario in, in terms of partnerships. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think we talk about this a lot and it's it's frustrating sometimes and it's it's hard to communicate sometimes. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, also what people don't understand is that unless you're dealing at a high, high level player with a large contract, the money sometimes doesn't make sense, you know? So it's very difficult to split a small fee in the beginning, but then other times you have to say, okay, well, you'd rather, you'd rather have a contract for your player than not have one and had take a small investment now and then help build the, the, the player's career. So um, I think that's good insight to an international point of view um, where, you know, it's just case by case. It is absolutely. And I think one of the things you mentioned right now I think, and that's one of the things I learned since whatever, when I got into, let's say, the, 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 the professional world, is that you cannot be uh, greedy. If you act greedy at some point in your career, people will figure it out. And of course, we would all love to have a big contract for the players and collect the whole agency fee. But sometimes you've got to be smart about it. And, and you had to see a bit farther than signing a paper. Uh, you may have some issues coming down the road. You may have some situations where you need some local assistance. And sometimes it's better uh, to share and, 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 and be profitable about this partnership instead of getting a, a whole agency fee that you know will last you for a season. That's it. So, um, yeah, absolutely. I agree with everything you said, Kevin. Completely agree. Completely agree. So. Uh, one of the questions that that I get a lot is about recruiting. And so maybe we can talk about uh, a little bit without giving away all of your secrets about like the recruiting uh, <laughs> strategy. And I know you you recruit a lot internationally and globally. Um, so maybe just touching on, you know, like how you how you go about the recruiting process. And then also I want to ask you about like your your trip to Africa and maybe recruiting there. So first we can start with just generally, you know, like do you focus on one market? Do you focus on a type of player? Well, uh, I would say recruiting depends a lot on the situation you are personally. Uh, when I was at Octagon for, for almost four years, my recruiting techniques were totally different than the ones I'm having right now. Just because the background you have, it's different. 
So I think mm. uh, whoever wants to be an agent or a recruiter, whatever, you got to be smart about it. Uh, that's one thing. Secondly, uh, I would say I try to recruit or work with the players that I can see them playing in the league side control. For example, I'm not going to try to recruit a Chinese player or an American player that has only uh, a way of marketing South America. I'm not going to do that because these are not my markets. And of course, I could try to help them out, but it's not going to be uh, uh, something that I control uh, quite well. So first of all is uh, see yourself in the mirror, try to evaluate your, your personal situation, your background a little bit, and then identify those players that uh, can actually fit in the leagues you control. These are the two things that I would suggest to everybody in this business. Uh, what else? And yeah, besides all these techniques and, and you know, skills that you can collect down the road in, 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 this, in this business, uh, what it counts at the end of the day is the person. I think the connection you can have with the player. You can find different options, different things to connect with the player. Perhaps, uh, I'm going to give you an example, which is very simple. Perhaps this player likes to party a lot. So maybe you got to go out a few times with the player to try to recruit him if it's if he's really worth it. So, you know, uh, try to find that little thing that makes you connect with the player and then uh, try to establish this personal uh, relationship. Yeah, I think those are uh, those are great pieces of advice. And, and I think I learned the hard way early on as I was trying to learn about the international markets is even if you have a good connection with the player and you recruit a player, if it's a player that might end up in a market that you don't really know well, it's not going to work out. You know, like, you know, the example you gave about, you know, a Chinese player coming to, you know, Spain or the South American player in the South American markets. Um, that's a great piece of advice. And so I wish I met you earlier in my career because that would have been, that would have been a good note to have for me. All right. So, so talking about, um, Talking about recruiting and international trips, uh, I know I mentioned before that you took a trip to Africa. So talk about that trip. Uh, you know, what, what was the trip for? Was it recruiting? Was it to run a camp? Um, what was the culture like? And how did that change your perspective on, on international recruiting as an agent? Uh, yeah, uh, I've, I've made a few trips down to Africa for the last few years. The first one, it was uh, in Luanda, Angola which is a country that has a lot of tradition with basketball. They used to be one of the best African countries back in the day in terms of uh, FIBA rankings in Africa. So uh, this trip to Angola, it was uh, more of a scouting of prospects type of recruiting trip than anything else. Uh, I had some connections in, in the country, uh, in the federation, and also to, from a few clubs down there. So I went there for a few uh, weeks to, you know, establish a little bit myself to, to, to find out about some prospects. Then I figured out that the local league they have in Angola, it's, it's quite powerful financially wise talking compared to other African uh, leagues. So it was a, a positive surprise. Uh, so, yeah, it was a good experience for me to, to, to get into the, the African scene, um, to learn a little bit the different cultures and, and, and how the prospects grow up down there, depending on area in the country and depending on the country itself. Uh, 
so it was very good. Then I took a few more trips in uh, Nairobi, Kenya, and also in the, the, the northern part of Kenya, uh, where a lot of uh, South Sudanese refugees are moving lately. So it was good to see uh, different type of nationalities on ground. Uh, then I was also in Mozambique, which is, I would say, not of not a potential in terms of basketball in Africa, but they still have some uh, local ground um, type of structure and a few players are coming up that I think are interesting. So, yeah, um, it's more it's more about recruiting prospects than anything else once you head mm. to Africa, in, 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 my, in my case. So that's one of the places that I have not been. So, so what was, I mean, t- talk more about the way that, that the culture is i mean what what was was it completely different than the way let's say a, a young player comes up in spain i mean what what surprised you from that culture uh well the first time you had in there you will be shocked culture wise because uh it's as uh, the same way you watch movies it's the same thing or the same way you see you want to see things out there, you know? So it's a real shock once you land in Africa, whatever the country is. Uh, the way prospects grow up, it's totally different compared to the US or compared to Europe, just because a matter of resources. Uh, you can see kids, they they do not have basketball trainers, the sneakers, so they play with uh, soccer ones, for example. Uh, you see kids that head into practice and they got to walk five, 10, uh, kilometers, which would be, I don't know, uh, three, six miles every day to go practice. Uh, you can see guys going to practice without having had a meal that day. So all these things that, you know, people might tell you or you may imagine are actually true. So the way prospects are uh, growing up down there, it's totally different than the ones we have overseas or or in the u.s so Mm. totally different walls in that sense yeah that's crazy um and and so do you think uh do you think you'll be spending more time there i mean is that is that a market that you want to continue to tap into obviously i think you know it's one of the uh top untapped markets for uh, you know for basketball especially with all the infrastructure need uh you know infrastructure updates that they need uh, but do you do you think you'll be spending a lot more time there with recruiting in the next five years? Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, Africa, besides basketball, it's a, it's a continent that I like. I think the, it shows many things, and you learn a lot of things down there. So I established a little bit myself in in, in some countries. I decided that I was going to spend some more time in the future. Uh, so most definitely, for the simple reason, at the end of the day, if you look at the NBA players right now. Uh, even though the American ones, they all have, the majority of them at least, have a lot of African descent type of relatives. So uh, if you count them, if you count also the international players coming out of Africa, also the Canadian ones that have also a lot of African uh, relatives or descents back in the day, uh, you can easily figure out that the material comes from down there so yes i'll be spending a lot of time i'll actually and this is something i didn't tell you before the podcast but we'll talk about it 
next couple of days whenever you head to Spain, Kevin. Uh, I'll probably moving there for four or five months next year. I'm still deciding where to go, but I'll be there, you know, uh, to try to evaluate and gather more information about players coming up. So, wow, that's yes, amazing. Uh, I'll, I'll be I'll be around for sure. <laughs> I love it, man. Yeah, I'm excited to to hear more about that once I get to Spain this week. So that's great. Um, awesome, man. And and so the the, the next topic that I want to shift into uh, that we can spend a little more time on here. The 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 last main topic is just some of the uh the 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 structure and the inefficiencies of the of the agent world right obviously there was a lot of changes this summer with with FIBA and agent regulations so um i, I guess just to start i mean do do you feel like as a FIBA agent um your your voice is heard i mean w- w- let's talk about some of the inefficiencies of the market and and potentially even try to brainstorm some ways that we can you know f- help fix this uh, inefficiency in the the global sports world uh, that's a that's a great question i think uh i think the, the whole european or the whole worldwide structure besides the nba uh is lacking of a structure itself you know mm-hmm. uh, at the end of the day fiba is supposed to be the the organism that provides a sort of a structure and I can tell you firsthand, uh, since I became a FIBA Asian, FIBA certified, uh, I never got anything in return to that. Perhaps the only thing or the only detail uh, or reason I would say I have a license for is to be able to make the transfers from country to country. But other than that, I don't see any advantage or I didn't get myself any advantage for having the FIBA license and for paying the annual fee every year. So uh, we could talk about it for hours. We could, you know, discuss about it for, 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 for ages, but I would summarize this in a very simple way. And for FIBA, the best way to do things better in that sense for Asians and to control the basketball worldwide, in my opinion, would be to copy the, the NBA system. I think the NBPA regulations are solid. Uh, they've been doing some great work in the past. And I think that's a very simple way for them to, to make it up somehow. But this is not my, my responsibility, of course. And, you know, and that's just my, my personal opinion. Yeah, I mean, again, we, we, we talk about this a lot, um, you and I, but th- there, there needs to be changes for sure. And like you said, with the NBA, it's difficult to compare, I think, um, you know, the same way the NBPA to the NBA as FIBA is to Europe, because it's, it's, it's different in a sense where there's just so many different federations, so many different countries, it's hard to regulate, but that should be known. I mean, if that's the case, then FIBA needs to find a way to regulate it better, because I would agree completely with what you said. Since I got my FIBA agent license, I can't name one benefit that I've received from them um, besides, of course, being allowed to just do my job, right? And, and you know, there's back and forth, but, you know, we pay a fee every single year and what is what do we get in return? You know, with the NBPA and the NBA license, oh my gosh, the value is unbelievable and I don't even have an NBA client yet, you know? And so anyways, I think there's, there's, uh, there's a lot of changes that need to be done uh, 
on that front, but so, so what are your, you know, we talked about it a little bit with the players. I mean, I'm sorry, with the, with the agent union, um, you know, obviously your league players association now they're doing a great job of starting to build, but is that something you think that can be replicated uh, on a, maybe a, a little bit lower level for, for leagues outside the Euro league? I think it should. I think it should. And, and, and again, um, the responsibility of doing that, it's always going to be towards FIBA because if we take out the Euro League, we take out the Euro Cup. After that, we're talking about the FIBA Champions League competition. So in, in, in my opinion, and, and I'm talking maybe three, four or five years ahead from now, I think it will take place because they will find themselves forced to do something. Uh, FIBA will not allow themselves to be uh, back or yeah backwards um, and to have such a, um, a type of organization difference compared to the Euroleague I guess so I think at some point this this will take place but of course there has to be an organism there has to be a, a sort of structure to regulate all the leagues contracts players teams and agents of course so I think FIBA should do way better in that sense and try to establish uh, a path for for all the all the people involved in the game that that's that's what i think uh, yeah and and at the very least i i know it's not going to happen overnight but the transparent the, the transparency needs to be there it's, it's very simple you know if if i were to have uh a response from one of my hundreds of emails that i've sent them like an actual response uh, this would be a start right so they need to have i don't know i mean they must have a lot of money from all the agents that pay the fees maybe they need to hire a bigger staff and just communicate better I mean, just open those conversations. I think that's going to be a start for them. Um, so switching a little bit towards the EuroLeague's Players Association, just one topic on, on the agent regulation updates. Um, and we touched on this briefly be before we started the call, but what do you think about the new change in, in players having to pay the agent commission fee? Now, this is obviously at the EuroLeague level. Um, but what you mentioned before, it's been like that for a little bit in some cases. So what's your what's your take on that? Well, that, that's something that worries a lot of agents in the game, and, and I understand. I'm always the type of person that tries to find a, a solution for everything that gets on the way. So in, in this situation, I think it's not that, that much of a difference, uh, whoever pays you the bill, as long as you have a proper contract, either between you and the team or you and the player so this is more or less the way i see this this situation as you said also a few teams have been working like that in the past in different countries we would talk about euroleague teams but also uh, clubs and organizations that are not in the euroleague have been operating this way in the last two or three years so i think it's a it's a trend that will gain a space and room in the next couple of years in the European scene just because the way it is in the NBA. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And, and, and like anything, like we said before, that's not going to happen overnight. It's a, it's a big change for some people, but eventually if it's communicated properly, it's going to trickle down and be able to uh, be able to come to, uh, you know, like the entry level and the mid level as well. So to, to wrap up this topic, how, how can we, how can we improve 
this concept? Like, how can we take a step towards being more transparent in the entire ecosystem? How can we improve international basketball, honestly? And, and that's obviously a big, a big question, but you know, if you had to kind of maybe summarize, you know, one thought or two, like how, how can we improve here in the short term? Well, that's a very global uh, matter to answer. Uh, I would say there needs to be a very solid organization on top of all these structures and actives in the game, which are players, teams, and, and agents, of course. Uh, that should be FIBA. Uh, perhaps in the coming years, we can see that happening. But I think right now we are far from that. Uh, but FIBA should be the organization that regulates and uh, does this ecosystem a bit better for all of us. Uh, ways to do so, in my opinion, there, there should be a common path for all the FIBA leaks that are registered under FIBA system. As you probably know, um, I would say the majority of the European leaks, depending on the country, belong to the FIBA system. They are registered in the, in, in, in the FIBA um, organization. So my personal advice or suggestion would be to have the same type of contracts between teams and players as well as agents for all these type of clubs that belong to the FIBA or that are under FIBA umbrella. I think that would be a great step to impose that all these teams registered under FIBA umbrella must report these type of contracts. Of course, uh, you know, to, to, to FIBA. I mean, it's a very complex thing to answer. I'm thinking as the time goes by to to elaborate my my answer and to be and to find the right words because it's very complex. Uh, but I think FIBA should be able to regulate this and to establish some contract samples for player team contracts, player agent contracts, and 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 to make sure that everyone involved follows the same path. That that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I completely understood what you, you were trying to say. And I think at the end of the day, that structure is, is kind of in place, but they need to do a better job of holding people accountable for that. So if there is a, if there is a contract in place between the, the, you know, the, the team and, and, and FIBA and the federation and the team and the player and the player and the agent, they need to do a better job of holding people accountable if that contract is not held up to standard by any of the parties. So I, de I definitely agree. Um, exactly. And, and, and there should be, let me add one thing here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, besides, the, besides not following the, the, the contract sample, whatever, that's totally, uh, that's very important. Uh, but also there should be a type of system to avoid using the VAT type of tribunal. Why I'm saying this? Because in the last few days, ELPA has been doing a great job in the EuroLeague you know, making sure there's an organism uh, that takes care of late payments for the players. And probably that's what they say should be an easy process to collect all the money owed to, to, to the parties. Uh, in the FIBA scene, we don't have that. The only option we have is the BAT tribunal, which is fair and I like it. But as you probably know, the process of going through the BAT, besides the money up front, you've got to put on the table. It's very long. So there should be a way of FIBA assisting 
or controlling these type of situations before heading to to the BAT, you know? Great point. I, I agree completely. Yeah, ho hopefully FIBA will be taking note of uh, some of the, the updates and changes in growth that the, the EuroLeague Player Association has been coming out with because, like you said, they've been doing a great job. Um, well, as we wrap up here, one of the questions I like to ask a lot of my guests is, uh, over your career, what has been one of the biggest obstacles that you've had to overcome, and what did you learn from it? Uh, well, I think uh, the biggest obstacle I had or, or what I had to do to go through it uh, is the, the daily the daily effort you got to put in yourself to, to, to keep being on top or to keep trying to be on top, you know, in, in this type of business, which is not a, it's not like owning a groceries store or being in charge of a car rental type of business. This business we have is a 24 seven type of business. So if you miss 48 hours, two days, you out of the, of, of the circle. Uh, what I'm trying to say is that uh, you got to find motivation to be on top of things. You got to find fire to be uh, connected 24 seven in this game. So uh, perhaps in the beginning, this was one of the biggest challenges I had, you know, to, to be able to, to, to stay on top of things without losing part of my, uh, let's say, let's say personal time that everyone needs to survive in this world, you know? So uh, once you adjust yourself and, and, and of course you got to love the business, um, I think everything is all right. But to, to find that balance, I think it's, it, it's a very important uh, thing that I was able to overcome in the beginning of my Asian career for sure. That's great, man. I think, I mean, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, it's a, it's a very unique business. It's a very unique business model. And um, you can't just kind of go through the motions. You got to show up every day and actually have a, have a passion for, for what you do. Uh, and then last question here, what is, for, if there's someone listening anywhere in the world that wants to be uh, an agent or get into the agent world, what's one piece of advice you have for them? Uh, well, you got a lot of basketball. That, that's one thing. You got to love the sport, uh, but you also got to love the business uh, because I know so many people in this game that loves basketball, that is passionate about the sport, but then they don't like the agency business. And I go a bit farther. You got to love the agency business. Otherwise, it's impossible to keep up in this, in this field. So my advice would be, you got to love the sport. You got to love basketball in this case. And then you got to love the business. You got to love managing players' careers. You got to love being in touch with uh, different people. You got to love traveling because you'll have to travel a lot these days. And you got to love the, the personal relationships, which is uh, connecting with people, being in touch with people. And, and, and yeah. Be, be a little bit of advisor, of course, of the players. I think, I think that's pretty much it. Love the sport and love the business. Yeah, that's great. And, and, and I'll just add kind of on top of that, you know, you, you can love the sport and not love the business. That's okay. 
but being an agent is probably not the best path. And there are other paths that you can, you can go down if you love the sport, that's fine. But if you don't love the business, then it's probably not the path for you. I think that's a great piece of advice. Um, all right, right man. Well, right. Na- na- now, now we have the infamous sports business lightning round, which I think you've, you might've heard before, but uh, I'm going to hit you with some questions and you got to hit me with the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay, let's go. Favorite color? Uh, blue. Most points that you've ever scored in the game in your life? 30-something, let's say 32, 34 when I was a little kid, probably. Nice. <laughs> Pizza or pasta? Pizza. MJ or LeBron? MJ all the way. What's one of the coolest cities that you have been to? Uh, Basketball-wise, business, I would say Bill Great. It's a great combination of basketball, uh, uh, food, uh, a lot of uh, people that love the game itself, culture. So Belgrade would be one of the cities that business-related, I would say. If I would have to pick a city out of the game, I would say Rio in, in Brazil. It's one of the places I will live without a problem. Great city. Amazing. What is something that you're really bad at? I would say organizing a little bit when I have, organizing myself when I have a bunch of games coming up, trips, whatever. Uh, Sometimes I need to be a bit more organized in that sense, just because, for example, I had uh, three trips in the last two weeks in uh, Italy, Greece, and Poland, Czech, Austria. And in the last two trips, I missed uh, the connection flights. Uh, booking so I was found myself in the airport without the connecting flight done and and that's because when you organize so many trips I either don't have the time or I'm just like that but it's not the first time that happens to me and I should be way way more organized in that sense Mm. what is one of your biggest strengths I would say the, the fire and the consistency when it comes to do things in a daily basis or business, I think I'm very consistent to, to things I do. Who are three people that have helped you tremendously in your life? Uh, I would, I would say family overall, for sure. Family thought, thought me with the values and principles that I, I bring on right now. Um, then in the business or in, in, in the basketball scene, uh, I had multiple coaches that, you know, taught me a lot of things, uh, not only about basketball, but also off the court. Uh, I could name a few, for example, uh, Juan Montes, who is a well-known basketball personality in Spain. He helped me a lot <clears throat> when I was uh, a kid at, at Barcelona. And then just people that I met on the, along the way. What was your first ever job? The first ever job was the scouting position at Octagon. If you could have a superpower, what would it be? To fly. I would <laughs> not miss any other connecting flight <laughs> tickets. I would be able to make it on my own. And yeah, fly, <laughs> flying, flying, that would be the, the superpower I would love to have for sure. That's awesome. If you could trade jobs with any single person in the world in any industry for one week, just to live life in their shoes, who would it be? It will probably be 
uh, Euroleague GM or NBA GM just to have that perspective of the business that we are into. I think either the Lakers GM spot because I'm a big fan of the Lakers or uh, top Euroleague team GM position. I think that would do. And last one here, if you could turn back time and talk to 18-year-old G, what would you tell him? I would tell him to to <laughs> basically stay on the right path and keep pushing. You know, sometimes when you are young and you want to get things done in a quick time frame, you miss a lot of things and you got to make sure you stay in the right path and keep striving for the things you want to. So patience might be a, a, a word I would say and consistency, of course, when I was 18. Great. Man, this was, this was awesome. I appreciate you coming on. I know I, I definitely learned a lot and I'm sure the listeners will be, be able to learn a lot. And, and I hope they took notes about, you know, the agency world and, and, and the business in Spain. And so um, I am, uh, I'm looking forward to hanging out this week in, in Spain and, uh, and hopefully getting into a gym and, and catching some games there. For sure. Absolutely. Hopefully you come over soon. We meet up for some lunch dinner. And, and thank you for having me. I think you've been doing a great job, as I told you, with a few podcasts I've been listening to. I highly recommend to all the audience to, you know, to join this podcast list and, 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 and gather information about the business. So uh, thank you again, Kay. Appreciate it, brother. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to me if you could give it a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're feeling really crazy, you can even share it on social media. As always, if there's a topic you want me to talk about further or a guest you would love to hear on the podcast, just shoot me a message on social media at Kevin Tarka. Thanks again, and I'll see you here tomorrow morning on Sports Business Secrets.